Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. On DAB Plus, online, via the TalkSport app, and on your smart speaker, this is TalkSport 2. Hello and welcome to the Autumn International Series preview show here on TalkSport 2 with me, Russell Hargreaves, alongside Andrew McKenna. Well, match week two is when all four home nations take to the field in anger for the first time after a tasty hors d'oeuvre here on the station. That was last weekend when Scotland tonked Tonga, but Wales were run ragged by the might of New Zealand. He blows his whistle. And Gareth Anscombe gets us up and running in Cardiff. The line-up for Ryan Elias, it's straight off the top. From Alan Jones, intercepted in midfield, and New Zealand are going to go in for the try. And Bowden Barrett goes under the crossbar and puts the ball down. It's a Barrett's best as far as New Zealand are concerned. Alan Wynne jones is 149th Wales cap has ended after 19 minutes. Pick and go by Ardi Surveyor, gets the ball out of the tackle and gets the ball away. And TJ Perinara will score the try the second of the afternoon for New Zealand he skipped it over through from the uh, 22 it's going to bounce a goal who's going to get it will Jordan will and will Jordan will score here it's Reese Priestman dabbing it through who's yes. going to lose ball Johnny Williams has it and Wales have the first try of the afternoon God, not allowing New Zealand the easy footing. well Dr Papalihi has just gone straight through the line out and scores George North couldn't even finish the sentence in time. Oh, brilliant basketball! Ardi Sabaya to Reese, and Stebu Reese will score an absolute worldie. Here come Wales from a scrum in their own half. They're going to come down the right hand side, but Bono Barrett intercepts, and he's going to head off for the corner. Can Aaron Wainwright get across and make the tackle? No, he can't. Bono Barrett blows kisses to the crowd, and New Zealand raise their bat for 50. Matteo Reynal blows the full time whistle and brings the first game in 20 months with a full stadium in Cardiff to a close. It's not the result that the home fans would have wanted. Wales 16, New Zealand 54. Wow, so Wales 16, the might of the All Blacks 54, the score there in Cardiff Life on Talk Sports 2. The Welsh without so many players who are either unavailable or, of course, injured some of the cavalry back at least this weekend. For Wales against South Africa, that's Saturday at 5.30 on Talk Sport 2. We also bring you, listen to this, Ireland against Japan at 1, England Tonga at 3.15 and France-Argentina at 8, all followed on Sunday by Scotland against Australia. Five belting autumn tests for you right here on TalkSport 2. The voice you heard there was the one and only Andrew McKenna. Macca, great to have you with me and great to get international rugby back on the TalkSport network. Brilliant. Absolutely. Last weekend was uh, was a couple of really uh, impressive games of rugby. Unfortunately, from a Scotland point of view, it was good. From Wales's point of view, I suppose less good. But in a way, it was probably the end outcome that I suppose a lot of people were expecting. But do you know what? And we said it during the commentary. Wales had three or four opportunities that really did get blown. And if they score those, well, then it might be a different story. But of course, ifs and ands and pots and pans and all of that, we will never know, will we? And we know that there are certain injury concerns heading into this game and beyond. Certainly some players back who couldn't play last week because that fixture was outside the official World Rugby International window. How do you see a 
a hopefully slightly revamped and bolstered Wales shaping up for South Africa in light of what you saw from Wayne Pivac's boys? There is room for improvement. Um, physicality was a bit of an issue. And bearing in mind that South Africa are probably the most physical side in world rugby, uh, they're going to have to deal with that. But that's something that's workable on the training pitch uh, physically. But it's also the mental side of it as well. They can't have anyone else do it for them. You have to simply front up. And do it. So, yeah, they've got some bodies back. Um, the injuries will be a concern, though. Look, you, you can't miss the kind of players that we're talking about and, uh, and not have it have an effect. So let's hear a little bit, first of all, from the Welsh camp heading in. Skills and kicking coach Neil Jenkins, as we know, formerly a Welsh top player in his own right. One of the British and Irish Lions coaching team in the summer just gone as well. He was asked whether they'd learned anything from facing South Africa on the Lions tour. Yeah, look, there's a lot of things to work on. There's no doubt in that. And there's a lot of um, aspects that we need to get right on Saturday that, you know, we probably did in the summer in some instances and didn't in the summer as well. So, um, but it doesn't change from an aerial perspective. These kicks are on the money. They're 50-50 and 50-50 is what it is. It's basically you've got a 50% chance of winning or 50% chance of losing it. And the crumbs are a big part of that as well in the scraps. So, um Look, it's, uh, you know, there's a lot of things that go on and, you know, go into these areas. And, uh, you know, we'll be working hard this week to try and get that right and give, us, give ourselves the best possible chance of taking them aerial bombs and, um, and obviously trying to, you know, implement our attack from there. And finally from me, is there a better team in world rugby in terms of their kicking game than South Africa? Um, oh, it, it, you, you can argue because New Zealand have got a very good kicking game. It's a different type of kicking game. So, you know, what South Africa do, they do very well and they're very good at it and they're one of the best in the world, there's no doubt in that. So um, you can argue again, are they the best or other the teams got a, a different way of doing it, but it's still equally as effective. So, um, look, whatever they do, they, you know, they're very strong, they're very good um, and we know that and uh, it'll be a big challenge for us on Saturday. Let's talk sports. Hamish Stewart there speaking to the Wales skills and kicking coach Neil Jenkins on the back of that hefty defeat. As the boys have said there, Macca, there's obviously one or two very key battlegrounds, aren't there? And we know just how effective South Africa are at all of those when we get it right. Just ask England, still in that World Cup final, a game that we'll never forget when you just saw the box for me as an absolute almost unstoppable colossus when they were given half a chance. Absolutely. And what is very interesting, actually, is the fact that for this game, South Africa have decided to go back to a 5-3 bench, five forwards and three backs. Now, Razi Erasmus, during the Lions series, basically said, look, 6-2 is our default position. Um, So it's interesting that they've gone 5-3. They did that against New Zealand during the Rugby Championship as well. I wonder what they've seen in Wales that makes them think, yes, we we can go... Uh, 5-3 this week rather than 6-2. Maybe it's maybe it's a couple of experienced Welsh heads missing, which means they feel that actually they can go with a, with a slightly different approach. And from Wales's point of view, Macca, we know clearly Six Nations champions, a huge amount to take from what Wayne Pivak has done so far after a sticky and difficult start, most of which I think wasn't his fault. He's trying to make the team more expansive, have different ways to beat the world's best, perhaps beyond what Warren Gatland bought, which was a lot itself. How important is this match in these next two or three games, bearing in mind they have just lost heavily in that first game back in front of a big crowd to New Zealand? I think there was an expectation that New Zealand might not go that well. Um, Bearing in mind that as of two weeks ago, South Africa were the best side in the world. Then you might argue that you might expect something similar this weekend. But South Africa don't beat you in the same way that New Zealand do. So I think they'll be hoping that having had a hit out against New Zealand, Wales will front up a bit more against South Africa. If they don't, they will pay the penalty, but they'll do so in a different way. I don't see them running in the same number of tries as New Zealand, um, but that they you, you physically play a, pay a price against South Africa, but in a different way. Now, TalkSport 2's Alfie Reynolds is a key part of our commentaries over the course of this series across TalkSport and TalkSport 2 and is with us for the duration of this show as well. Bad luck, mate. Well, it's, it's my pleasure. It's my pleasure, Rush. Good, good to be with you both. Um, so as Mac has talked about there, South Africa obviously up this weekend, then it's Fiji, then... It's Australia, which a little bird tells me you've got the call for. That's going to be a corker for you to finish. But I just wonder what state Wales will be in, in every sense, by then. 
Well, yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I think it, it was really tough for them against New Zealand at the weekend, as you've both touched upon already. Personally, I would expect them to probably lose again against South Africa this weekend, although it to be a tighter contest. Interestingly, I did see a stat that South Africa last won uh, away to Wales. Was it 2013, 2014, something like that? Now, since then, we've had COVID and a World Cup and a very different looking South Africa team, but it's worth throwing that in there. But Wales almost have the opposite autumn schedule to a lot of the other teams. I think they probably have their two easier games later and they're starting off with their, with their two Calling harder Calling the ones. Aussies easy. Not <laughs> easy. Quite right. Quite right. Easier, I, I think. I think this Australia team, I know we're going to get on to Australia, but without Quade Cooper and... Well, let's do it now. So for anyone that doesn't know, mm. there's a big issue here, isn't there, that effectively anyone who's playing in the Far East, and it's quite a few key players like Cooper... Are unavailable for this whole series and it's making the Aussies rethink their policy about who's available for them and how many caps they need to win to be invited to come back if they've taken a hiatus. Yeah, there we go. It, to be fair, I'm impressed it's taken us this long to get onto the issues of rugby administration in the show, Russ, to be honest. But yeah, exactly that. So a number of players for Australia that also play for Japan, they signed for those clubs in Japan before Australia changed their criteria of who they could select for the national team. So the club signed them, didn't expect them to go away with Australia then it looked like they might. They're now not going. And Australia have had a bit of a resurgence this year. And I think Quade Cooper and a number of those other guys have been pretty key to that. So I do think it will impact Australia and how we see them fare in the autumn in the Northern Hemisphere. It's not easy, let me clarify, but I do think it's easier than South Africa and New Zealand for Wales. OK, Mac, I know you lick your chops when it comes to rugby administration. Do you want to put your two pence worth in here? In fairness to the players, it seems that the clubs basically got got their oar in on this one. So, so Samu Karevi and Sean McMahon are both with Suntory. And essentially, they went to the clubs and asked for permission and were told they weren't going to get it. Uh, Quade Cooper is with a different side, um, went and asked them and basically got out. Well, so Quade Cooper turned around and went, Look, I really want to come, but I can't. Um, so it, it's a difficult situation. They've called up um, young Noah Lolisio. Um Now, he is a very talented but young player. If you're suddenly going to throw him back in, he's had some experience. He's had some Bledisloe Cup experience. But the reason they took him out and went back to Quade Cooper was it, it the good days were good. But there was a bit too much variation in all of that. So it is going to be very interesting to see uh, how the Aussies get on uh, with their, shall we say, uh, patched up squad. OK, so Australia away to Scotland, Sunday at 2.15. We'll touch on the Scottish side of things in the last part of our show in a few minutes' time. But Wales, South Africa is our focus for now. Let's hear from one of the ambassadors of the tournament, the legendary top bloke that is, ex-South African winger Brian Habana. He's been joining me to look ahead to the big game. Go back over the last four or five years, uh, you know, the, the titanic battles between the Welsh and, and the South Africans. It has been one that has been physically won up front. And I, I can't see this, you know, this game being much different. Having played at, you know, the Principality Stadium under the roof, it's one of the best stadiums to play rugby in. And I think, you know, for many of these South African boys, they would have played there, but there might be one or two youngsters who get to experience it for, for the first time. And, you know, there is some talented, fast-paced, you know, people in, in the back line, which, you know, I'm hoping... You know, the likes of a Lewis Reed Samet, you know, coming up against a Makazoli Mapimpi comes to the four. Hopefully the, the closed roof for a dry circumstance makes for some exciting running rugby. And it's always a nail-biter. I know that, you know, Wales definitely have had the upper hand, unfortunately, from a South African perspective, over the better part of the last six or seven years at the Principality. And, you know, Jacques Ninabo will know that the preparation after the team really got, I think, a good two weeks off post, you know, I think it was 18 weeks <laughs> in a bio-bubble of sort. Uh, we'll have refreshed them uh, and they'll be rearing to go come you know, come kick off Saturday. The great Brian Habana. And as we know, the roof will now be open due to COVID. That's official. Uh, Macra, I tell you what, one or two of those ex-Habana positions, as he says there, the likes of Reece Samet trying to tear it up against those South African wingers. Crikey. Absolutely. There are some great matchups on the wings. Um, you just hope that the wingers actually see enough of the ball. Um, so, yeah, look, it, it, there are some great matches. Did you hear the story, by the way, about Sabu and Kosi and how he won't be available for South Africa this weekend? Although he has a full passport, apparently he applied for a work visa, but there weren't enough blank pages in his passport to be awarded a work visa to come into the UK and play rugby for a few weeks. Is that the maddest thing you've ever heard or what? Wow. And you bring quite a few left field things to the table generally, Macron. You might have just topped the lots there. 
Crikey. So one very unexpected unavailability. All right, so Wales, South Africa, 5.30 kickoff on Saturday. Hugh Woosencroft, Stuart McFarlane, and once again, Wales and Lions winger George North, your commentary team. In a couple of moments' time, we're going to be talking England, Tonga, Eddie Jones's boys are back at HQ. And all of that is up next. Nice one, boys. Meter short of the line, they're up to the line, are they over it? Try scored! And from a rolling mall, catch and drive at the line out, Luke Cowan-Dick, he gets the try! Every test match is a test, as it says on the tin, so it's just about finding out how good you can be. It's cliche and horrible as that sounds, but um, that is what we're, we're striving for, just find out how good we can be. And Curry will take the pass from Anthony Watson, and Curry will go in, round behind the post, and score a try. Two at times prickly Leicester Tigers characters there. Ellis Genge and the other is Andrew McKenna. Macca, it's high time <laughs> we talked a little bit of England. So you're done with Wales for your little sterling opener. England is your focus now for the next three weeks. And there's one major backdrop here. Before we even talk about style of play and anything, Eddie Jones and a huge, huge Times newspaper report that has lifted the lid as they certainly see it on the Eddie Jones regime and, should we say, the revolving door, particularly of assistant coaches. Yes, Owen Slots uh, basically went for it in quite a big way at the back end of last week, uh, saying that Eddie Jones's methods of um, man management left a lot to be desired, both in terms of coaches and players. Uh, he highlighted one story where John Mitchell, um, who recently left the setup and when coach at Wasps on a day off was planning to go and watch his son play cricket as he was at Middlesex at the time and Eddie Jones went no I've got something for you to do um, it was apparently pointed out to Eddie by John Mitchell that uh, it was actually a day off uh, and very shortly after that John Mitchell left the setup um, so there's there's been a lot of comments and uh, now we know how many coaches that Eddie has got through in his time it's with about England. roughly the same as your hot dinners I think isn't it <laughs> it's not a million miles off let's be perfectly honest about it um, so there's been a lot of attention on the way that Eddie goes about his business now this could be said beyond as well couldn't it he's been through an awful lot of players in terms of some senior players who seem to drop without trace very very suddenly and there have certainly been reports that one or two have dared to even ask maybe a question or two in training and then suddenly they are gone. That's unsubstantiated, but was also doing the rounds. Media managers have certainly come and gone as well. He is, as we touched on last week in the show, I've worked with him a lot in the last few years. You now are as well. He's a fascinating character, isn't he? But there is a history here, isn't there, of, of success and then moving on. It's quite rare to see him have peaks and troughs in the same team with the same national fold and still be there this deep into a job. It is incredibly rare for him to be anywhere more than three years. That's why, as much as anything else, I fully expected him to move on after Japan 2019, because to do another four years on top of what he'd already done with England would have gone completely against it. And players I've spoken to said, you can work under his style of management, but it burns very bright very quickly. In other words, you can do it for a very short period of time. Uh, it, it's quite difficult to do it over an elongated period of time. Uh, and it was very noticeable in the, the Times initial article. Uh, one of the few coaches willing to put their name to something was Paul Gustard, who went and tried to use a similar approach at Harlequins. And, of course, that burnt very brightly and fizzled out, and he ended up being moved on uh, because the players were supposedly so anti the system. So you've got to be very careful. Maybe there's a case that it works at international level because players are only with you for a few weeks here and there. But actually, in a 40-42-week what a 40, 42 week season, uh, as you are with a club, maybe it's just too intense. Maybe it doesn't work at club level working in that manner. I think it's simple enough to say that the very week after Gustard effectively left, we then saw, didn't we, Quinns just go on an unbelievable tear and the freedom, the joie de vivre, the extravagance, the happiness back in their game that led to that against-the-odds premiership title post-Guzzy. 
says a huge amount. So fair point, Macca. Anyway, let's go back to Eddie Jones, the man himself. The England head coach has been speaking to Macca about that very Times article last Friday where those coaching methods were so brutally questioned. Uh, Eddie, first and foremost, when we spoke at the squad announcement, I mentioned to you about how different people have different opinions on selections and that's part and parcel of the job. In the last week, though, you've had your coaching methods questioned. And that seems to be a very different situation because not many people actually know you and, and the way you work and your methods. How do you feel about that? Well, I think everyone's entitled to their opinion and uh, they can express it. I was interested in the article uh, that there was no people named in the article. Um, so I'm happy for people to make comments on my questions, but if you, uh, uh, I'm happy for people to make comments on my coaching, but if you want to make comments on my coaching, have the courage to name yourself. So, you know, there's white noise and there's black noise. Sometimes people say good things about you. Some people say bad things about you. You know, you just get on with it, mate. We're never as good as they say you are and we're never as bad as we say they are. I mean, you don't ever seem to struggle to fill vacancies. So if working with you was was that bad, you, you would maybe have a few more gaps in your coaching staff throughout your career. And it's a career that's lasted a good many years. Yeah, well, as I said, mate, you know, anyone could write an article about anyone and write anything. And if you don't have any proof for it, then... You've got to you've got to struggle to give credence to that article. Look, I don't I don't get too worried about it one way or the other, mate. Um, yeah, I am who I am. I've made mistakes, of course. We've all made mistakes, but I think uh, that I'm reasonable most of the time. And uh, I think maybe that article is a little bit uh, off beam for some reason. Do you think that you have to kind of push people to towards the the edge, though? Because we're talking about elite sport, and we talk about one percenters. At some some occasions, you could be talking about half a percenters that make the difference. Do you have to push people that far to 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 find those differences, those those little advantages? Well, any high performance team I've seen has always had that little bit of uncomfortableness about about it. You know because we're striving to do things that aren't normal. The normal thing is to be average. That's why there's an average. If you want to be better than average, you've, you've, got, to, you've got to be a little bit uncomfortable in where you want to go. Um, and, and that's a normal part, of, normal part of coaching. You know, the game demands high standards on the field. We see that all the time. And off the field, we want to have a caring uh, and a sharing and empathetic environment. And, and we work towards that all the time. If it hasn't been perfect at times, uh, that may be true, may not be true. Um, and, but we're always seeking to, to get the right balance in our environment. Speaking of uncomfortable, uh, Jersey last week, you certainly put the, uh, the players out of their comfort zone with paddle boarding uh, and all sorts. Did you get out of that camp what you wanted to? Uh, well, you never know, mate, because the only thing that really gives us feedback is the game, um, and that's what we're judged on. But certainly as a camp for driving some togetherness, some shared experience, some shared stories, it was a great success. Uh, a lot of laughter, a lot of hard work, uh, players establishing new relationships, all of those things happened. So we thought it was in the right direction, mate. Eddie Jones there with Andrew McKenna and fair play to Macca to keep asking those questions and get a good response from Eddie. Uh, alongside me is Alfie Reynolds. Alfie, how much have you had to uh, lock horns like Macca and I both have with Eddie? Do you know what? I've never had the pleasure uh, as yet. Uh, I know You'll he... earn your stripes one day. Well, I was going to say, uh, it's one of those where it's quite intimidating, I think, isn't he? He can be brilliant value, um, but he knows exactly what he wants to give you and what he doesn't. But I thought Macker asked some great questions there. I know we're going to move on to talking about the game, but I thought that article in The Times and, and everything about it, I thought it's been very, very interesting. Match-wise, as we know, heading in then, there's been so much talk, hasn't there, about England finally, dare I say, evolving the play, bringing in the likes of Harlequin's fly-half Marcus Smith to just add that little bit of extravagance, that uncertainty in terms of the line of attack, just... All that brilliance to try and get the opposition guessing in on the back foot, which maybe England at times have lacked just that final few percent to go on to win the likes of a World Cup and build a more consistent dynasty. How frustrating then over the week to then learn that the likes of Marcus and others have picked up niggles and 
come in effectively to camp only half fit, making selection so much more complicated. Yeah, it's going to be a fascinating autumn, I think, for England, really. We're expecting to see a new style, a new brand of attacking rugby after the Six Nations and the autumn a year or so ago where it was pretty dire, really, from an attacking perspective. That's what we're hoping for. Whether we do see that, let's wait and see. I think the attacking game is something that you have to develop over a long period of time. So whilst there'll be differences, I'm not convinced that it's going to be the wholesale changes, the England 2.0, if you like, that many people are suggesting. But on Tonga in particular as well, I must admit, I don't think we're necessarily going to find too much out about England from playing Tonga. With the greatest respect to them, it was fairly dominant Scotland's win over them. Um, I don't think we learnt much about Scotland. I don't think we learnt much about Tonga. And I don't think we're going to learn much about England this coming weekend. This is purely kind of about getting some sort of game time heading into the tougher matches later this autumn. Yeah, without going back into rugby administration too much, you do wonder about the likes of Tonga and the progress we'd seen and then really forced to put out a pretty depleted side that certainly didn't look too great against Scotland, I'm afraid. We'll see how they can fare this weekend at Twickenham. Macca, back to England for a second. We at least knew, didn't we, from Eddie Jones's match day squad over the first couple of days of the week that some of those names, those exciting names, were, were at least up for it and available for selection to that point. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's uh, an interesting squad that he's named and there's obviously plenty of uh, combinations that he can try in there. There are still some bumps and bruises and people have uh, picked up. Unfortunately, we're not going to get a look at Lewis Liner this weekend because he arrived in camp after that pretty bruising encounter live on TalkSport 2 last weekend against Saracens. Oh, don't remind me just because we lost. And it- <laughs> and it, 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 to be honest, it did look like the kind of game that was kind of made for um, the likes of Lewis Liner, for Rafi Quirk, uh, who um, Eddie has confirmed has arrived in camp uh, with an injury. We knew that because, of course, he'd missed the last couple of games for sale. So he's not going to be involved either. It did look a great game for, for some of those fringe players. So well, Max Malins as well. We touched on last week, didn't we, that we thought he might be one to watch. Hopefully he will yet be over the series. But I thought he was great when he had his chance in the summer till he got hurt. And then guess what? Great for Saris and now hurt as well. Well, again, that I've got a funny feeling that might be just a slight niggle, and they're saying, "Look, say, keep your powder dry for for games down down the road." Hope so. uh, and Hope so. we have other options in that. The interesting one is that uh, Marcus Smith has only apparently thrown a ball around um, so far in the first couple of days of this week, as he was also carrying a knock. Well, when you consider they only had two tens in the squad to start with, um, if he if he is a bit of a concern. Who's the backup 10? Are we talking George Furbank might be thrown back into that role? Or are we talking about Henry Slade, who's done quite a lot of um, playmaker roles with Exeter this season? It'd be very interesting to see how England would deal with that if Marcus Smith, come game day, uh, wasn't able to take his spot. Do you feel, though, Macca, all of that aside and the frustrations maybe building into this week that will be disjointed for Eddie and co, that as we build to England's other matches to come, that we will slowly see what he is maybe identifying and planning to change England's attack, as Alfie and I were discussing, in the medium term, in the build-up to the World Cup, to make them go and win one? It's going to be really interesting because I don't know if we're talking... um, Something that but people are going to really be obvious, you know, those people watching in the stadium, listening on TalkSport 2 on Saturday, are we going to find out straight away, say, wow, this is England's great new game plan? Or are we actually talking about little tinkering moments? So it, it will be interesting. We know Alex Dombrant is going to play number eight because Sam Simmons has been released back to Exeter. That's harsh, so, isn't it? Having waited so long, by the way, we should say for Sam, for that off. recall. Not half. Um, But does that mean, actually, they've said, look, we're going to be using you in the next two weeks. Again, that might be that kind of situation. But what you now have to do is put a game plan in place that gets the best out of Alex Dombrandt. Um, England haven't really played his kind of way. They haven't played Sam Simmons' kind of way. They've played Billy Vanapola's well, You need an open game, don't you, basically? I mean, the lines that Alex Dombrandt can run, are, they're more like a centre. They're audacious the way that if he's got space, he can just cut a defence wide open as an eight. You would love to see that, wouldn't you? You'd love to see him in those wider open channels. It put, does put pressure on the blindside flanker. It, it basically means he has to do an awful lot more uh, dog work. So you would imagine that we're looking at Courtney Laws to, to slot back in there. As Who's the expect. ultimate for that? 
Oh, exactly. I mean, if there's a man more suited to that, then I don't actually know who it is. So, but that, but that's the point, isn't it? It's back row is about to blend. If you were to put Courtney Laws, Sam Underhill, and uh, Alex Dombrant together, you'd say okay. You could go Tom Curry instead of Sam Underhill. Now that gives you a very different back row because that gives you two guys who like to go into the wider open spaces. Does that put c- c- too much pressure? onto Courtney Law to be interesting. OK, we'll watch that, not just for this week, but clearly over those big games to come for England, as you say. England, Tonga this weekend, Australia live on Talk Sport the weekend after, and then South Africa in town to conclude their autumn back here on Talk Sport 2 a little bit later on in the month. England can't wait for it. Andrew McKenna alongside Hugh Woosencroft and Ben Kay and Rachel Burford, two World Cup winners. That's your commentary team at Twickenham 3.15 this Saturday on Talk Sport 2. Do not miss it. I'm off to Ireland for three weeks. Can't wait. Across the Irish Sea to Dublin for all of their matches. We'll talk about all of those in just a second. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. I had to work a long time to, to get that one cap, and I was unbelievably happy to get to get the one. Um and yeah, I never in a million years thought I'd, I'd still be playing and everything happens for a reason and, and hopefully, you know, getting your own cap in front of some people would be would be more special, I think. He gives it a shot to Sexton! Johnny Sexton goes round just behind the post, puts the ball down. Johnny Sexton scores the try! Johnny's been um, incredible for me through my career and he's been... Um, incredible for a lot of Irish players. His, his determination and his drive and his desire to win, I think, is probably almost second to none of, of anyone ever played against. And, and he's coupled that in recent years with, with really, really great leadership skills. Well, that was the Ulster Ireland and Lions lock forward Ian Henderson. And before that, the one and only Leinster Ireland and Lions star, the fly half extraordinaire Johnny Sexton, who wins his 100th cap this weekend at the age of 36. Congratulations to Johnny. And a fascinating media conference. I spoke to him uh, at length about the game and various aspects of it, but there was another fascinating bit, Macca, where he talked about how he kind of felt at one point he would never get to this stage, partly because his older brother was a better rugby player, but his older brother got injured. He's now a coach with Connaught. And it's almost given him the perspective and the humble approach to kind of never give up on a day and never take anything for granted. And, and that's what's helped him get to this unbelievable stage. There are so many great sliding doors type moments within sport, aren't there? The, the, the moments that have completely changed people's careers. Uh, we've been talking about Marcus Smith. You think back, if Dimitri Katrakilis doesn't get that freak throat injury, Marcus Smith probably doesn't play as many games for Harlequins as he did and establishes himself. You know, it's all about those stories, isn't it? One, one door closes, another one opens. And last weekend, we had Bowden Barrett getting to 100 test matches. This weekend, we've got Johnny Sexton. It's intriguing that Bowden Barrett has done it six years younger than, uh, than well, Johnny Well, Johnny Sexton. actually talked, funnily enough as well, about not getting his first cap till he was 24. And he said it's not that old, but it's kind of 
older than an awful lot over the last few years. You look at a lot of 20, 21-year-olds now, so with the odd injury and concussion too, he was already starting slightly behind, if you see what I mean. Absolutely. Um, but he has made the most of it. I mean, he's got a, a win record with Ireland of over 60%. Now, Ireland, when he was first emerging, were a good side that put a few wins together. They weren't certainly consecutive winners and they, they didn't put runs together that often. Johnny Sexton has been a big part of that, taking on what Ronan O'Gara had uh, helped put in place. Uh, and he will certainly go down uh, as a very, very highly respected player around the world, not just in Ireland. In, in Leinster and, uh, and in Ireland, he will always be highly regarded. But actually, Johnny Sexton is very well regarded around the world. Now, one crucial point heading into the game is how much playmaking responsibility is, I wouldn't say taken off his shoulders, but maybe shared a little bit more. There's a new hotshot coming through who can play pretty much any back position in the book, but is largely at the moment an inside centre, which is Kieran Frawley. Will he or not feature at some stage in this autumn? I suspect so. Macca, where Ireland are going particularly in terms of how they do it, how they entertain, how they, almost like England, need to at times maybe reinvent a little bit and have different attacking options and be a little bit more varied. That's a big, big talking point for me heading into this autumn for the Irish. I see where you're coming from, but I see Andy Farrell in a a similar kind of vein. I'm not going to quite say but in a similar kind of vein to Eddie Jones in the fact that he doesn't really care in that he doesn't care what the noise is outside the camp I should qualify with. So, as you know from, from having interviewed him before, in the fact that he's a, he is what he is. He's a blunt-speaking bloke from Northern England. Wigan. You know? Very exactly. blunt. He speaks his mind. And, and you will be able to ask him straight questions and you will get straight answers. Um, they may not necessarily be the long in-depth ones you want. Sometimes it'll, it might be a little bit yes, no. But he knows his mind. And it'll be interesting to see what, what you get over the next few weeks. We spoke last week about how they, they do need to have one eye on the future because this squad is ageing. So they need to blood a few, but the quality is there and you, you can't ignore that. I mean, what are you expecting from them? I'm expecting largely continued momentum. I think it took a good while for Farrell to win people over and I think that that job is not yet done. Coming in, of course, formally as one of the assistants to what was such a successful regime under Joe Schmidt. Key point, though, is that under Schmidt and previously as well, when it's got to World Cups, when it's really, really mattered, when Ireland are the favourites, what happens? They don't deliver for whatever reason. This time is the approach a little bit different and could Farrell, from a kind of slightly under-the-radar slower start actually end up where he needs to be come the business end and come France 2023. Five straight wins, poor start to the Six Nations, then three wins, two decent victories over the course of the autumn, of the summer, I should say, as well. I think they are getting there. And if they can start well this week, it will be tough. We'll come on to Japan in a moment. It sets up that New Zealand game next week absolutely brilliantly. And I can't wait to be in the Irish capital when the All Blacks come to town. Of course, New Zealand, having lost to Ireland twice in recent times, we should not forget. Anyway, let's hear from Andy Farrell, who told me, first of all, he can't wait for his team to play finally in front of a hopefully full Aviva Stadium. We're super excited about getting back to the, just the, just the crowds. Look, at, we had a couple of thousand against uh, against America and Japan back in the summer, and that was great. You know, um, the thought of uh, the, the Aviva being, being as full as it possibly can be is, is super exciting. It's going to lift our boys uh, tremendously. We can't wait, and uh, hopefully, um, you know, over the over the coming days, uh, Johnny Sexton gets to the opportunity to um, to play in his hundred cap at the Aviva uh, against Japan, and I think uh, uh, I'm sure that the, the the fans will come out in 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 the thousands to su- to support and uh, celebrate what what Johnny's achieved. Andy Farrell there, of course, former rugby league star, England centre, England assistant coach, and now having done the same with Ireland, in charge, the big man, heading into the next three weeks for Ireland. Alfie Reynolds, of course, alongside us on the show as well. Alfie, Japan are the team that the Irish are playing. And you look at where they've come in recent years, their journey from 2015, knocking out South Africa, beating them at the World Cup, moving through 2019, beating Ireland, as we know, through to the quarterfinals, really pushing Ireland close over the course of the summer as well at the Aviva in the summer tests. This team is its a mightily impressive evolution, isn't it? 
Oh, massively. I mean, the story of Japan has has been fantastic behind sort of Fiji. They're in that kind of bracket, aren't they, of everyone's favourite second team. If your personal allegiance isn't playing, the stories from the World Cups have been brilliant. But I'm interested to see how they go this autumn because we've mentioned the high times there, 2015 World Cup beating South Africa and then hosting 2019. I I was a little underwhelmed with what we saw from them uh, when they played the Lions. Um, before the start, before the Lions flew out to South Africa uh, for that tour in the summer. So I'm just interested to see where they are. Can they carry on that trajectory, which is going to be really, really tough? Uh, no doubt they've done brilliantly to, to get to this point and they've got some really, really brilliant players as well. Uh, but how do they fare this autumn? I, I'm very excited to see that. OK, well, Timothy Lafaelli is hoping to line up for Japan against Ireland this weekend. He's done it in both the win against the Irish at the World Cup and when they lost, as we say, narrowly in early July at the hands of the Irish as well. Well, I've been chatting to the uh, Samoan-born star in the build-up to the game and Timothy began by telling me what the centre's expecting from Farrell's men. I would be expecting a, a tough game. We, we know they have a, a tough forward pick, big forward pick and some uh, skillful backs. So it should be an interesting game. And as a team, the Irish team that, that beat you narrowly back in July, they'll have their British and Irish Lions stars back this time, won't they? So are you expecting a, an even stronger opposition? Yeah, definitely. They'll have a strong team. Uh, Davis Sixton and uh, Bandiaki back so, and some of their main forwards. So it'll definitely be a, a tougher, tougher team to beat. And as you say, it's then, isn't it, showing that 80-minute performance to get over the line and win even more of those matches. Would you like personally one day to be involved in either the Rugby Championship, the Six Nations, be part of a major ongoing annual tournament, if you see what I mean? Yeah, oh, yeah definitely. Um, joining one of those competitions will be will be huge for, for Japan and also World Rugby, I reckon. Yeah, just the experience the boys will get from playing those uh, world-class players and those world-class teams. Japan centre Timothy Lafaelli speaking to me earlier and Maka, that last point, Japan at some point in the rugby championship or into a seven nations. Timothy fancies the idea. And why wouldn't he? And to be brutally honest, why wouldn't anybody else? They need to be in a regular championship. We saw what happened with the Sunwolves when they went into uh, Super Rugby. Yeah, it was a bit of a, a tough one to start with, but they improved as time went on. Japan need to be playing a regular tournament against Tier 1 nations. It can't be that far away. Surely it can't be that far away. We will wait and see. Should be an absolutely corking game. Really looking forward to being part of the TalkSport commentary team for it. It's Ireland against Japan. Craig Doyle, my good self, Elmer Smith on the touchline and the former Ireland Leinster in line centre Gordon Darcy with your commentary team at the Aviva Stadium. Going to talk a little bit of Scotland and France-Argentina up in a moment to conclude this match week two of the Autumn Series Preview Show. First of four autumn tests for Scotland gets underway. All four at Murrayfield. And off we go. Reflecting off the hands of Ritchie. Comes back towards Rupert McLean. And McLean just bundles his way over. Hesitation in the Tongan defence. Seven minutes on the clock. Rufus McLean now a one-on-one situation. Oh, oh he just sidesteps. One, two players. And over for another try. Only price on towards Kinghorn, taken on again by the outside centre, and Scotland are going to be in this time. Kyle Stain receiving the pass from Tuipulutu, his Glasgow teammate, and Scotland have a third try. Scotland have they managed to work their way across the referee. Nick Berry raises the arm and signals the try is good. Pierce Schumann, well, he's the man receiving the congratulations. Ali Price now takes the ball on. Kyle Steen. Kyle Steen cuts the line towards the try line. And Kyle Steen is in. He picked a perfect line, a diagonal line. Oh. The tongue of defence at sixes and sevens. And it was an absolute gift here for Kyle Steen. Such hesitancy in the tongue of defence. It looked too simple. Scotland now beginning to get a little bit of forward momentum. Price is in there just trying to steer Turner towards the line. And Turner is over for the try. Through goes Kyle Steen to touchdown underneath the post for try number four. Making a little bit of history. And the, almost the entire Scotland team are now celebrating with Kyle Steen. And the referee puts whistle to mouth and blows for full time. And Scotland emphatic winners in the end by 60 points to 14. 
Jim McFarlane and the team there as the Scots got their autumn off to a very impressive start. Live here on TalkSport 2 in our opening match of 16, by the way, across this four-week series. Two down, 14 to go, which leaves Andrew McKenna in seventh heaven. And Macra, I tell you what, the first thing that springs to mind there is like the Welsh, that's a Scotland team admittedly against far easier opposition, no disrespect, but without the likes of Duane van der Merwe, Finn Russell, Stuart Hogg, players that were unable to be selected and now are... You've got Kyle Stain running in tries for fun, just not even for this week, but just moving forward. What superb options for head coach Gregor Townsend. This is just what he wants. Absolutely. And there was a lot of talk about how many players that Tonga were missing for last weekend. You've got to throw into the fact that Scotland were without British and Irish Lions. Mm. You know, that has to be uh, borne in mind. So actually, they did a good job. In a weird way, the game actually went the other way round than what I thought it would be. If you remember uh, last week on the show, I said I thought it might be fairly tight for the first half and then they would sort of blow it open in the second. Well, actually, first half went like a dream. Second half, maybe it was just as they were starting to make changes, it kind of lost the fluency a bit. The second half wasn't as as free-flowing and as emphatic as maybe we might have we might have expected from them. But look, they did what they needed to do. They're up and running, good start, and now they're adding pieces in, or at least Gregor Townsend has the choice of adding pieces in. That's the great position to be in, um, in the fact that you say, well, do I put, X into this side, or actually do I reward the player who's in uh, possession of the show for a job well done last weekend? And up front will be absolutely crucial as well. We've talked about these flashy, talented backs and all of this competition for places there, but we know, as we said on the show before, Australia not at full strength with some issues heading over. But Murrayfield, I think was it 250,000 fans over the four weeks? Uh, Stuart Hogger predicted as he prepares to make his comeback. Um, it's going to be cracking, isn't it? In every sense. Oh, absolutely. I'll tell you what, the Wallabies are better up front now than they've been for a long time. Mm. And part of that is Will Skelton is back. Um, he is one of those players who is based in France, who they've now been given to, uh, permission to pick again. His time at Saracens was absolutely vital. For a start, they shifted, I don't know how many kilos off of him. And um, by, the, by the end of his spell at Saracens, he looks a totally different player to when he arrived. But he is absolutely phenomenal for them. So he's going to have a big part to play. Um, you've got a experienced players in and around him so that they will they'll give it a good go up front actually Australia so I, I think this will be a really really good battle Scotland and Australia have played some belting games down the years and I just wonder if we might be on for another one and with Scotland at times potentially like Ireland dare I say that if they head in as the underdog to matches it's all well and good but when they head in as favourites at times They've struggled. The Irish clearly battling hard to shift that pers- uh, perspective. Is that same perception still fair with Scotland or do you think that's also evolving as, again, we look to be where they want to be in the next couple of years for that World Cup? I don't think we can say it yet, but they're moving in the right direction. Games like this will will tell us exactly that. How much genuine depth is there in the, the squad when you make a change on 45, 50 minutes does the, the new player come on and do you see no drop-off? Can they maybe even increase it? It's games like this which will tell us an awful lot about Scotland and exactly where they are and what needs to be addressed over the next 18 months or so. OK, so your commentary team this coming Sunday on TalkSport 2 at 2.15 is Tim Cocker alongside the legendary commentator Miles Harrison. Chuffed to have him on our network. That's not it. Ireland, England, Scotland and Wales, not enough for you. What about France? We'll throw them in as well. Host of the next World Cup. Again, uber-talented, uber-frustrating but maybe now they are getting things together. A new captain for this championship and probably one of the world's very, very best players, Alfie Reynolds, is commentating on that game. Tell us a bit more about the change in captaincy and perhaps finally ahead of playing Argentina at eight on Saturday, harnessing the talent of the top 14 and actually doing what they should really do on the tin. Are France finally going to be that best team in the world? Are they finally going to win a World Cup on home soil in a few years' time? It's what they're building towards, isn't it, Russ? And, and boy, have they taken certainly the Six Nations by storm over the last few seasons. They've been absolutely brilliant. Antoine Dupont, I know as well, is the, the man you're referencing there. I mean, he's the best nine in the world, isn't he, these days? I think most people would have him as first name on the team sheet. Maybe him and, and Aaron Smith, but he's in very, very high company. When he plays, France are a completely different beast. So, Charles Olivon, the 
regular skipper is out injured, hopefully back for the Six Nations, the big lock. Yeah. Dupont, my only slight fear, I asked him to be fair at the launch and he laughed me away pretty much, going, <laughs> no, no, no. Um, you didn't need a translator no, for that part, No, it was very sort of Charles de Gaulle-esque. He was like, no! Um, was, are you taking on too much? And he said, I'm picked because they trust me and they know I can marshal this on top of everything else. Yeah, and let's find out as well. I don't think we, there's no reason to think that him taking on the captaincy will will change anything for him. He's been brilliant. He's explosive. He is one of the, if not the new star of rugby internationally and around the world. I think I think he has the potential to, to be that real figurehead for the game. Uh, but for France, generally, I think it's nine uncapped players in their team. You've mentioned Charles Olivon. There are missing a, a few other players, Camille Schatt and Guy guys that we have been used to seeing relatively regularly over the last few years. But I think they've got that strength in depth now. They're, they're building slowly and incrementally to, towards the World Cup. I'm just thinking to the, the couple of matches they played against Australia in the summer where they did still throw away a test match a little bit in the traditional French style, but they were missing a number of players as well. So I think it's exciting to see how they'll go this autumn. They've got Argentina this weekend on Saturday. They then play Georgia and then it's them against New Zealand, which, let's be honest, that is the marquee fixture of the autumn, in, in my opinion. I know we had Wales, the Six Nations champions, against New Zealand, the world's, or one of the world's best teams on the weekend, and there's another of other good games in there. But for me, it's that France-New Zealand game at, at the end of the autumn. And we've given you Argentina, but we've taken the New Zealand game off you, I believe. We have, but I have been given a, a trip to Cardiff instead, Russ. So, you know, swings and roundabouts, you take what you're given. What the left hand giveth, the right taketh <laughs> away, eh, Macca? Just a word if we can on Argentina, please, Andrew, because it's been really tough, hasn't it? We know about their gradual evolution, some incredibly positive moments, but hauled up in Australia for so long because of COVID as part of a, an immensely difficult rugby championship. Issues off the field, regulation breaches, poor results... What on earth can they do now coming up to this part of the world? Well, they can certainly leave a few bloody noses. Uh, they've got some very, very fine players. Uh, Julian Montoya has been in sparkling form uh, with Leicester this season when, uh, when he picked up out of the, the rugby championship. They've got a lot of their guys playing in France now as well. Um, they are a good team. Um, yeah, you're absolutely right. They had a few issues during the rugby championship uh, when they were based in Australia. Uh, players uh, leaving the state, crossing the boundary, not realising they needed paper work to get back to their hotel that evening and weren't allowed back in. That therefore meant they were banned for a game. I mean... (laughs) That must be the sort of thing that drives coaches absolutely potty. Hopefully, the riot act has been well and truly read. They fully understand and are bought in to what they need because there's a lot of talent in that squad. It, it, it just felt at times that it needs harnessing and, and maybe the, the last few weeks have, have been the perfect example that maybe there's still some harnessing that needs to go on. We will wait and see. Maka, thank you so much for your thoughts on all of that and to you, Alfie, as well. Should say, don't forget, the brilliance of New Zealand in action too as they travel to Italy. That's a 1pm kickoff on Saturday. I'll be keeping everybody abreast of that score as well during Ireland against Japan. It's Maka with England, Tonga. We bring you Wales, South Africa, Scotland, Australia and Alfie with France, Argentina as well. Five belting tests across TalkSport 2 all the way from Saturday at 1 until Sunday at 2.15 in the afternoon. And once again, we'll see you there.